Hey there, all you true crime fans. I am your host, Amanda Russell, and this is Colorado Crime. I cover cases from coast to coast, with a special emphasis on cases that happen right here in colorful, crime-filled Colorado. I appreciate you guys tuning in today. I would like to take a second and give a special thanks to retired commander, Pat Murphy, AKA my stepdad, for all his help with this case. I appreciate every single late night call or text he answered, every lunch or dinner where I rambled on about wanting to step out of my comfort zone and start a podcast, and his continued and constant encouragement. It's not journalism, Pops, but it's also not law enforcement. I think it's a pretty fair compromise. A little backstory on me. I actually was working at Weld County Jail, um, and that was I thought I was going down that path. I wanted to be this really badass detective who solved all these cold cases and, you know, busted up drug rings. And then we had our kids. And I wanted a career that was more flexible and gave me the opportunity to watch them grow up. And I didn't want to miss Christmas and holidays and the big things like that. So I left the jail and I decided to get my real estate license. And I've been doing that now for seven years. Um, if you guys know anything about Colorado real estate, really nationwide real estate right now, it is insane. Um, I have absolutely loved it and I will always have my license. Um, I absolutely adore being able to help my friends and my family become homeowners and really navigate that process because it's it's a tricky one, but I was really finding that I was missing something that I was passionate about, and I mean, I constantly have a podcast on or some docu-series or, or documentary about a true crime case, and I really thought, you know, I could do that. I could bring, you know, my own spin on things and really make sure that these victims are the ones that are being heard. I don't know if you guys watched the Dahmer docu-series that was on Netflix recently. I did, and I really did enjoy it. I enjoyed the storytelling part of it, but when you take a step back and realize that those were actually people's lives, and it's based on a true story, there was so many, you know, factual errors that were either errors or just completely omitted, and by the end of it, you sort of start to feel bad for, you know, the, the perpetrator, which is what I'm going to try to avoid. That's what I don't like about true crime. I think that there are so many ways that you can, you know, really get a victim's story across without sensationalizing the crime itself. So I hope you guys join me for this journey. I am very excited. And I really hope that I can do these victims some justice. So, without further ado, let's go ahead and get right into today's case. Today we're talking about a case that occurred in Federal Heights, Colorado during 2017. My stepdad, as I mentioned, was actually a commander who worked this case before he retired from Federal Heights PD last Christmas. I remember when he was working on this, there were so many hours and calls and so much time in general 
that went into trying to find this man who seemed to have just vanished. Now, if you guys don't know anything about Federal Heights, it's this really, really small town that's located between Westminster, North Glen, and Thornton. Waterworld's located there, if you guys are familiar with that. The water park, not the Kevin Costner, Tina Majorino movie, which is excellent. If you haven't seen it, you should watch it. It's a 90s classic. But Waterworld is a water park, um, and it's got rides and slides, a sleazy river. Um, I feel like it's one of those places that every Colorado native has visited. It's sort of like a uh, rite of passage, if you will. Um, it's super popular in the summer months, and in the winter they turn it into this big Christmas light display. So most Colorado natives are pretty familiar with it. But according to census information, the city has a little more than 14,000 residents. Now, to give you guys an idea of what the town is like, on the website crimegrade.org, the city received an overall crime grade of D. Not super great. You know, it's like one level above failing. The website states a crime occurs every 14 hours and 32 minutes in Federal Heights. The city received a D- for violent crimes, a D plus for property crimes, and a D minus for all other crimes. Our story starts with William Musack, a 69-year-old man who had lived alone until recently. His daughter, Dana Jennings, had fallen on some hard times when her massage business went under, and he gladly welcomed her into his home. Unfortunately, this kindness would lead to Bill's untimely demise. This case came to light just a few days after Christmas 2017. On December 28, 2017, Federal Heights Police Department received a call requesting a welfare check at Bill Musack's Elliott Circle home from his brother. He stated he hadn't heard from his brother for several days, which was very odd. When police arrived, they were greeted by Jennings, who stated that her father didn't really live there anymore. Officers did note that there were some construction materials and a roll-off dumpster in the front yard, but otherwise there was nothing odd to note. Jennings told police that she hadn't seen Bill in roughly 10 days and that he lost his phone. Apparently, later she finds the phone in the house and places it with some mail for him to grab when he returns. Officers had no reason to disbelieve Jennings or suspect any sort of foul play. That is, until they received a call from Musak's son, Brian, to inform them that he had not heard from his father for several days and now he wanted to file a missing persons report. Brian continued on by telling investigators that the last time he spoke with his father, his father had mentioned something alarming. Brian told investigators that his father stated Dana had brought dinner home one evening, just your typical burgers and milkshakes, and after taking a bite, he passed out and woke up 15 hours later, still in his recliner. Musak went on to tell Brian, quote, I don't know if Dana drugged me or what. Now, 15 hours of sleep, I mean, it sounds amazing. Like I said, I have two young kids. They never sleep. But 15 hours is excessive. You know when you take one of those naps and you just, like, sleep so hard? 
that you wake up and you have no idea what century it is, or if you missed the school bus to school that you haven't attended in 15 years. I imagine it felt something like that. And I mean, how scary. Officers then show up again to the house on Elliott Circle. Officers were told by Dana that she had still not seen her father, but the rent money that she left on the counter had been picked up along with her father's cell phone. Investigators discovered that after this conversation with police, Jennings told Musak's friend and neighbor that he left to spend time at a friend's property in Arizona. Bill's family told investigators that Bill did not know anybody who lived in the state of Arizona. While officers looked around the home, there was nothing there that indicated Bill lived there anymore. His belongings were gone and no personal items were found. This is when police knew something was wrong. Police reached out to Musak's girlfriend to confirm when she last spoke with the missing man. She stated she hadn't seen Musak since December 2nd when they were on a trip to San Luis Valley. After returning, his girlfriend sent him a text regarding a Christmas party they were both planning on attending, and he confirmed he would be there. That was December 8th. Musak never showed up to the party, and that was the last conversation the two shared. On December 29th, 2017, police returned to Musak's home again and were met at the door by a foul odor and Dana. She attributed the smell to a toilet overflow in the basement. She explained to officers that her father didn't really have a room at the home anymore and would sleep on a Lazy Boy recliner or her massage table when he did stay the night. Property records indicate that Bill did not have another primary residence, so him living elsewhere would be very doubtful. This time, Dana refused to let officers inside of the home and stated that she would no longer be cooperating with the investigation. The officers were sure to make note that the construction materials that were there the previous day were no longer there. Police went on to contact Bill's cell phone provider, hoping his cell phone location would provide some answers. His phone was last used on the 29th and it was near his home, not Arizona like Dana had suggested. Police started asking questions about Dana and her father's relationship. Most people said the father-daughter duo appeared to be very close. Family members claimed Dana told them that she, quote, adored her father because he was the only person who truly loved her unconditionally. But family members were sure to point out that tensions started to rise after she moved in. Jennings struggled to make rent on time and began taking over Bill's home as her own. This led to frequent arguments. Now, I have to mention this. Dana would make claims later that she suffered abuse from Bill, but I can't find any proof of that in my source material, and Bill's family has vehemently denied these claims. Police looked into Bill's financial records and discovered several recent cash withdrawals. Isn't it always money? Upon further investigation, it was discovered that the signatures didn't match. 
it was confirmed that Dana had been the one to make the withdrawals. Surprise, surprise. This, the missing construction material, and Dana's refusal to cooperate with police made her their number one suspect. Police reached out to Dana's ex-husband, a man named Joel, to get a better picture of what type of person Dana really was. He explained to officers that 2017 had been a particularly difficult year for his ex-wife due to her losing her massage business. He described Dana as, quote, impulsive and unpredictable. Officers compiled what they had, and it was determined by a judge that a search warrant would be granted. On the afternoon of January 10th, 2018, police officers and, fire and the fire department entered the home on Elliott Circle, and the smell was astounding. Police were able to determine the smell was originating from the basement. Behind a wooden board that blocked the entrance to the crawl space, police discovered freshly and poorly poured concrete. Underneath the concrete, a human hand was found, and Dana was taken into custody. An autopsy confirmed the remains, in fact, belonged to Bill Musack. The standard autopsy showed nothing suspicious in Bill's, in Bill's system at the time of death. However, there was no trauma to the body, so investigators kept looking. After Dana's electronics were subpoenaed, it was discovered that in the days leading up to Bill's death, she had searched for some pretty suspicious things. On December 9th, Dana searched how long it takes a body to decompose. A previous search showed she was looking up asapromazine, which is a horse tranquilizer. Sometimes it's used for dogs when they're flying on planes. Long story short, though, it's a, it's a very strong sedative. She had previously purchased some of this from eBay at the end of November. Police took this information, and they had Bill's remains tested for the drug. Sure enough, it came back positive, and it was determined that Bill was killed by an intentional overdose. He had consumed enough of this drug to tranquilize several horses. Dana was charged with first-degree murder and tampering with a deceased human body and booked into Adams County Jail while she awaited trial. At trial, Dana's attorneys tried to argue that she had accidentally poisoned her father. They claimed she was trying to assist him with some sleeping issues he was having, and when he died accidentally, of course... She panicked and buried him in his own basement. On July 15, 2019, the verdict was delivered. Guilty on all charges. Dana was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. According to the Department of Corrections website, she will live the rest of her life at the Denver Women's Correctional Facility in Colorado. Now, I am very lucky to have a biological father, and a stepdad. I love them both. I couldn't imagine the depravity that it takes to do this to somebody you love so much. To, to harm anybody in general, but especially a parent, somebody you're supposed to love and care for, it just baffles me. I think that 
life in prison is exactly what she deserved. I cannot even fathom her release. Thank you all so much for tuning in this week. Bill deserved so much better, and he was so much more than just a statistic. He was a father, a brother, a neighbor, and a friend, and he will absolutely be missed. Please tune in next week to discuss our next case. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at Colorado Crime Pod for current true crime happenings as well as more information regarding the next case. I would like to note that October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and I will be covering some cases that are domestic violence related. I hope that you guys have a beautiful day wherever you are, and be safe.